This is Power Players with Dan Clark. It's Dan Clark, Power Players with Dan Clark, our weekly podcast. And this segment is my pleasure, my honor to interview University of Utah student-athletes, both men and women's sports. And because it's football season, baby, we are going down to the gridiron and we're plucking out some of the most outstanding human beings who happen to be football players to be on this podcast. If you're in the NIL world, I challenge you to tune in and open up your pocketbooks, get into those deep pockets. I won't drop any names, but you know who I'm talking to. And let's help these young men and uh, and support them, not just with ticket sales, but, you know, who knows, maybe they'll be driving one of your boats from marina or you know at least getting the car of their dreams in a trade because they're so articulate and they can show up at your events and do more than just sign footballs they can actually impact the lives of our young men and young women who idolize them from the stands today we have someone that i really relate to because he was recruited in one specific part of the game and then they flipped him to the other side of the line of scrimmage and you'll find out really, really soon about Connor O'Toole's desire to just play me, coach. Put me in, coach. Whatever I have to do, I will long snap. He, he didn't say that. I don't think I would have. I'll do whatever it takes to help the team win. And I think that's the philosophical message we need to take from this interview right now with Connor O'Toole. I had a formal introduction that you haven't heard recorded it that just introduces us. And... Uh, one of the coolest things that I learned about you when I read your bio is that you were the number one recruit out of the state of New Mexico, and you were really a receiver, not so much a defensive end where you play now. So take us all the way back to when you started football as a little league guy. Obviously, you're a stud, so you played both ways at some point in your life. Take us back, brother. Take us all the way back and teach us why you have this million-dollar smile and if he doesn't make it as a football player, he will definitely be an Abercrombie model, and I think I'll just be his, his agent and make myself a few million bucks. Take it away, Connor. Yeah, so uh, going way, way back, I started playing football, and it was peewees, so I think I was probably about seven, eight years old. Um, I was playing back in elementary school just on the football field, and I went back and told my mom one day, I was like, I think I want to try this football thing out. Um, so she signed me up. My first position I played was offensive guard. Um, <laughs> didn't know much about football at all. Just Were you a big kid? Not, not very big. I was tall and lengthy growing up. Um, I didn't have a lot of muscle until about my late years in high school. Um, so I started there and then just developed a love for the game throughout it and then kind of moved all over the place. Um, I kind of settled in at defensive end early on. Um, and that was always like my desire, I always getting after the quarterback. And then I got to high school. And uh, I was a little fast kid, tall and lengthy. And my coach was like, we want you to play receiver. And so I played receiver and linebacker uh, going both ways my freshman year of high school. And I really took off as a receiver starting then. And then my sophomore year, started playing some varsity. And then my junior year is when I, my football career really felt like it was taking off. Um, and I kind of gave up defense at that point. After it was my sophomore, junior year is when I really stopped playing defense. Um, then I started getting recruited. Some Half the teams that recruited me wanted me to play tight end. Half of them wanted me to play receiver. Um, so I was kind of in the tweener. And then coming to Utah, they were like, we, you think you're an athlete. We think you can play a couple different things. Um, we'll start you as receiver, and we'll see what happens. Um, and 40 pounds later, I came in at 210. I'm 250 now. I'm playing defensive end. And 
uh, it's a blast. Yeah, you're really good. What a fine young man. This podcast episode was sponsored by Select Comfort Systems. Thank you so much for supporting the University of Utah student-athletes. So teach the young man out there that thinks he's a quarterback or thinks he's a running back or thinks he's a lineman. And what's the mindset shift that he needs to go through to make sure that he's a team guy? How can I help the team win? Because you had to go through that. Yeah, something my high school coach actually told me, uh, not told me specifically, but told the team, he's like, play a position where you're fast. And I was always fast in high school because I was from New Mexico. And obviously high school athletics is a lot different than college athletics. Every level you go up, the competition gets greater. But that always stuck with me. And he said, play a position that you're fast at. So when I got to college, I was – I went from being fast in high school to being kind of average in college. Um, as a receiver. As a receiver. And so that's why I played a, played a year receiver. I tore my ACL my first year, played a year receiver. And then that's kind of when everything shifted. And I was like, I want to play somewhere where I can control my own destiny and play somewhere that maximizes my potential. And I told the coaches that. And I was like, whatever you guys think that is, that's where I want to be. And I was like, I don't care what position it is. I love the game of football. I want to play somewhere that's going to maximize my potential. They said defensive end, and here we are. Look at you, number 81. <laughs> Carrying the receiver number still. <laughs> I know. I love it, though. So what's your favorite part of the game? Is it is it the run game? Is it widening out your stance and going after the QB? Or what's, what's your favorite part of the game? Uh, I love pass rushing. That's definitely um, – I feel like that's my strong suit. That's what I kind of started out as. Uh, I definitely – desire the run game I'm, I'm starting to I feel like I'm getting better at it my technique's getting better at it over time um so just trying to up that level as well but definitely getting after the passer I mean that's what DNs do that's what they get paid for um that's what it's all about and you were able to take your skill set as a receiver meaning fast hands quick hands coordination and your speed so you come in and you say your average as a as a receiver and average at D1 is pretty fast so don't don't downplay that at all but you were able to take your quickness. There's a difference between speed and quickness and your agility as a receiver and turn that into a pass rusher. I've watched you. you got great feet. you got really good hands. So is, 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 is the message to just work out and, and become the very best version of yourself and then trust the system, trust the coaching staff? Or can you go in there as a prima donna and say, no, I'm this guy, that I, you know, I want to play? And I bring that up because there's guys who say, man, I'm not yeah. getting any playing time. Mm-hmm. And you would say, well, then put me in a position where I do get playing time. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, something Coach Scali always says, just find ways to add value. And uh, I think that's what I did is just try to – everything I do, I was like, no matter what I have to do, I just want to add value. And I want to maximize my potential as long as help the team win. Um, and whatever that may be, and that always not might be what you want. But if it's better for the team, then – and obviously the coaches – believe in you enough to put you in that position, and that's where they think you could succeed the most. So obviously I have a lot of trust in our coaches and their plan. They've been along around a lot longer than I have, and they know what they're doing. They have have history doing this. So I have a lot of trust in them, and I also have trust in myself and confidence that I can get that what their belief is and I can get it done. So did you play any other sports in high school besides football? I played basketball my first two years. I played basketball kind of growing up. I played it up until my sophomore year. Um, I was always kind of, it was always basketball and football, basketball and football, always like, I don't know if I like basketball more, I don't know if I like football more. Um, and then I kind of got my mindset on football after my sophomore year of high school, and then I ran track 
uh, growing up a little bit too, and that kind of stopped in middle school. And my high school track coaches are like, you need to come out, you need to come out. And I was kind of on the fence for a little while, and then he was like, you know what, I'll go out. So my freshman year, I just kind of here and there because I was still playing basketball, and so I ran a relays here and there my sophomore year. Um, I really took away with track, and then I was like, you know what, I need to like, I need to set a plan to get to where I want to be. And I was like, football is obviously the goal, and I think that track's going to help me the most get recruited, develop. I mean, speed is everything. Um, so it helped me develop that speed. And so I kind of let basketball go after my sophomore year and his football and track ever since then. Yeah, but the um, the track, the 300-meter hurdles, that's that, that was your event, good for you, and the 100-meter dash. So I got hurt my, my junior year. I started on our varsity team. I was the only junior in high school that played. Everybody else was a senior, all-state, all-Americans. We had a great team. And then, so I got a lot of recruiting, a lot of scholarship offers, and then I got hurt my third game of my senior year, and I thought I was going to lose all the scholarship opportunities. But because I played basketball, the football coaches could see my agility, see my speed, see my heart, my hustle, and that allowed me to continually get recruited as a football and baseball player. So what advice would you give to parents who have kids with coaches who say, oh, no, no, you can't play anything else. You just got to just do one thing. Is there any value in what you were able to showcase as an athlete as a hurdler come on dude yeah yeah. I think there's so much I think being a multi-sport athlete is so important especially when you're young there's so many skills that translate I mean talking to some of the guys on the d-line that have played basketball a lot of that movement like the euro steps just like the footwork that goes into that is so translatable to football and funny enough you say that um, after my junior year I had little to no interest uh, getting recruited out of high school um, and then I started running track, and once I think uh, my first race I ran, or the 100, I ran like an 11.0, and then slowly I was like 10.7, 8.10.7. Um, and when I finally started getting recruited is when I ran, my, when I ran track. It wasn't after my football season, so that's what kind of gained tension in, in my recruitment was track. It wasn't football. I mean, obviously I had film, but it was that's what got the coaches' attention coming out of high school was my track times, and then they watched the film. Isn't that cool? So we hear a lot about cross-training. So what do you do on the off-season that makes you a better defensive end, would you say? Yeah, I do a lot of pass rush stuff, uh, just training, footwork, hands. Obviously, hands and footwork, um, those two are the most important. And then obviously, get-off is very important. So I actually do some track workout stuff, not like long, but just like the short stuff, just to work that get-off. And just uh, those first couple steps are so vital in a pass rush. If you can just get off the ball in those first three steps, um, that's half the battle, I feel like. So just kind of working that, working the explosiveness, just lifting, um, running, and then just a lot of footwork stuff. So when I was <clears throat> a junior in high school, I was telling you about, I went to a, a receiver defensive back. I, I lied. It was a receiver quarterback camp at Santa Bar- the University of Santa Barbara with Cactus Jack Curtis. He had been a coach at the U. And then I came back and played defensive back. I was a cornerback. And what I learned as a receiver on how to ditch and how to get the competitive advantage over over a cornerback helped me become a better cornerback. So take us through what you learned as a receiver that's helping you become a better defensive end, especially when you were playing tight end. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's uh, <clears throat> especially when you go against our offense because I know our offense so well. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I kind of get upper hand sometimes. I try not to cheat it too much because obviously when we get out in the game, I don't know everyone's plays. Um, but just like seeing formations, just seeing tendencies that the offense has, um, just like alignments, just like when a tight end's creep down, he's more likely to go away on a way block versus if he's a little more spread out. So just like the small things that, that I learned as a tight end, and 
they always told us on offensive line for success. And so now I could see that as a defender is seeing their alignments and if they're cheating one way or versus another, that they're most likely to do something different than what they normally would do. So I just feel like having that background gives me an upper hand on just like pre-snap kind of knowing what to do. So how do you prepare for the game? Are you way into film study or what do you do? Yeah, I like film study a lot. I think um, I think that's half the battle is just watching the film, kind of getting an idea on the tackle that I'm going against for his stance um, versus run versus pass, I think. Leaning down. Yep, trying to find if he has more weight on his hand or if he's more leaned back, if you could see his numbers more, if he's crouched down or if he's leaned back, his the stagger in his stance. Um, something I like to look for is what, what moves first on his body, if his knee caves in a little bit, if his heel lifts up, because um, that's what I like to key is getting off the ball. So just that finding that first movement that they have, because uh, everyone's different. Some people's knee kicks a little bit, some people's heel lifts up. Uh, so just trying to find that and then just finding – whether they're wide grabbers, they like to punch inside, how they set. It's so beautiful. I'm just smiling because, ladies and gentlemen, just let's play a little game. When you put weight on your fingernails, you get these white dots. And when you're a big lineman and you have all your weight on your hand, the only thing you can do is fire out in a run block. If you're just sitting like that, you're going to back up, pass, protect. So one of the competitive advantages is to look at the huddle and see which guy gives away the play. There's always one guy There's in the huddle. There's always one guy. And it could even be the quarterback where he looks, he always looks first or he licks his fingers when you know he's going to pass it. So do you find those tendencies in the film study or do you have to kind of pay attention at the very beginning of the game and try to see, okay, who's looking where the play's going when they break the huddle? And it might take you three or four plays yeah, I think some of the stuff you can find on film, uh, you can have a good idea going in the game. But I think when you get in the game, you have a different angle of it. You're you're face to face with someone. You you could see their eyes. Like on film, you can't see their eyes. So sometimes you can get a peek. Obviously, you don't trust it all the time, but you kind of look where they're going, and you can get a feel for it. if they're consistently doing that throughout the game. If their calls, you can hear like the play calls sometimes depending on the stadium if you're home or away. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both and just getting a feel for it throughout the game. Obviously, you see one thing, you don't want to jump it right away because you might get caught in something. Um, but just throughout the course of the game, you'll start to pick up on things. Very cool. So who is the, who is the toughest player that you go against at the University of Utah on offense? I'd say Satawa. Satawa is a beast. He, he has it all. He brings the juice all the time. He's a fun guy to go against. I mean, uh, it's just iron on iron. Um, he gets me better. I feel like I get him better. Um, and he's got a bright future ahead of him. So just going against every day is just a blessing. So you, you play like you practice. You practice like you play? Absolutely. That's good. So let's get personal. So how do you get prepared for the game? On game day, what happens? You wake up and do what? Depending <coughs> on the game, the time of the game, uh, I usually get up. I like to read my Bible in the morning. Um, Kind of just get my routine, get showered, go down and eat. Um, if it's a later game, get a little film in or just kind of go over the calls that we have. And um, then we go to meetings, and then we have a little downtime, so I'll try to take a little nap here and there. Um, and then once it's go time, just put on the headphones, kind of just relax. I, I'm very calm. I feel like before the games, I don't, I'm not too riled up. I feel like if I get too riled up, then I'm all over the place. So I try to stay as calm as I can. Um, and I know when I'm out there, I'll be focused. I'm not jittery too much. Um, so that kind of helps me just, just like music that relaxes me. Um, I can get amped up, but I just try to just stay calm. So I used to return kicks and punts and I would lose like 40 pounds in water weight, waiting for the kick. You know, I'm just 
fix my plasma. And finally, we had one of the world-famous sports psychologists, Dr. Henshin. He's since passed, but everybody he was around knows him and honors him, and he was nationally and internationally known. He gave me the best metaphor. He says, as the game starts, <clears throat> hold a loose rubber band, and as you look at the clock and you see that it's getting closer to kickoff, just start to stretch it, start to stretch it, start to stretch it. And so when you're back there, the second that foot hits that that ball for the kick, you pew, it's maxed and you are ready to go. And I bet that saved. I, I would burn like four thousand calories, and you know, before the game would even start, and I'm like, really, I'm exhausted. I need to take a nap. Could you just delay the game for a couple of minutes while I go get a drink? But you you've got that figured out, right? I feel like it. I feel like it. I kind of have a routine. And I, over the years, I kind of, I'm not like super superstitious at all. Uh, but I kind of, uh, there's things I like and there's things I don't like. So every year, I feel like I kind of have something different that I kind of add to my routine or take away. Yeah, so, um, so come clean. Tell us what they are, man. Um, this last year, I mean, I was always like in high school. I was always like heavy, like music. I like what kind of music? Um, some like heavy metal or just like rap or just like anything. I was always trying to find something and then. That's what I said. I feel like I was getting too amped up. And then my freshman year, it's kind of the same thing. And then I was like, I need something that calms me down. So I just throw on some worship music before the game, something that kind of just relaxes me, um, but just puts me right in the right headspace that gets me calm. And I just feel like ever since I've done that, I've just, like, been at peace, like, before the game. So, you know, I've interviewed Michael Phelps, and he was famous for, you know, he'd listen to rap before he'd dive into the pool and set a world's record. and. You know, so many guys, yeah, they're into Metallica, they're into ACDC, they're into just hardcore rap, they're just blah, blah, blah. And last year when I interviewed Clark Phillips, he said, he didn't use the word worship music, he said, I listen to hymns, and I'm like, okay. So worship music, obviously, we both know, it could have an upbeat, it's okay. Yeah. But a hymn, it's almost like you're at a, at a funeral, and he had the exact same attitude. He wanted to just calm himself down and... He was a man of faith, just like you are. His dad was a preacher, and that's pretty extraordinary, bro. Yeah. So it's funny. I like to say, you said, yeah, I like to read the Bible in the morning. Well, yeah, you need to read the newspaper and the Bible so you can see both sides. That's yeah. supposed to be funny. <laughs> this episode was sponsored by Select Comfort Systems for their undying support of the University of Utah student-athletes. So Connor O'Toole... Uh, I have Irish blood running through my veins. Tell me about your Irish heritage. There's not a better Irish name on the planet than Connor O'Toole. Come on, baby. <laughs> yeah, my dad's side of the family uh, is Irish, paid to his great ancestors. Um, we don't have like too many traditions or anything, unfortunately. Come on, I man. know it's kind of it's kind of faded away. It seems like um, I never kind of grew up in it. Um, but I'll represent the last name, absolutely. You got <laughs> it, man. I'm telling you, why there's nothing better than Irish blood running through our I veins. Know. Okay, so let's take it into uh, into your uh, your personal life growing up. I'm still curious about the family you grew up in. What was it like? Your parents were very supportive. Were you an only child? Did you have 19 siblings? You know? Yeah, I was very. Kawa had 10. He had nine brothers and sisters. I'm like, crazy. my gosh. Yeah, I was uh, very fortunate, and very blessed to have the family that I did. I, my mom and dad are, are married. I have one older sister. Um, she's back home in New Mexico right now. She's going to PT school. Oh. Um, was so she yeah. an athlete too? Yeah, she was a swimmer uh, oh. back in the day. She she was very talented. She easily could have swam in college, um, but didn't really have the desire to. It wasn't uh, her passion. Um, so now she's going to school for PT, um, and that seems to be what she loves. So 
happy for her in, in that. Um, but yeah, as, as kids, we were always, um, my sister and I were always fighting, going back and forth, uh, but now we're very close, um, very close to my family. They always come up to the games as much as they can, um, which is a blessing to be able to see them, and they've been so supportive, and um, everything they do is just a huge blessing in my Very life. Very cool. So let's talk about adversity for a second. So I had a career-ending injury, and I wasn't ready to hang up my cleats, you know, how that works. So you've had a couple of injuries. Tell me how you deal with it physically, but more importantly, how do you deal with it emotionally and mentally? Yeah, so obviously I had some nicks and bruises in high school, but uh, nothing that was ever serious. Um, get to college, I think I was here for about a month. Um, family's gone. It's just me. Don't know too many people yet. I'm brand new. It's during the thick of COVID. Um, so it's hard to go out and meet people and, and get around. The student body is pretty much gone. Like the dorms are practically empty. Um, and it's probably within a month of being here. My first, the third day of fall camp, I tear my ACL. What happened? Just got hit in practice. Or uh, was I was flick? running, running a route, kind of got pulled from, um, the side, my knee just caved in and, and just gave out. Um, and for me for so long, I put my identity in football and that's all I knew. I was just always, is like football or track, football, or track, or always sports. It was always go, go, go. And when I think your identity is always in that and then it gets stripped away from you, it's like, who am I? And my family was gone. I didn't know a lot of people. So it felt like for me, luckily, I was very blessed. I didn't have like any extreme circumstances growing up. My family's together. I'm I'm very fortunate. Um, But for me, that was like I kind of felt like I hit rock bottom almost. Um, Not actually, but in my personal experience. Um, And so it was just mentally it was tough. And then but I think injuries like that where it takes you away for so long makes you focus on other things. So I got to focus on so many different things during that time, which I think just... Like what? Um, my faith, first and foremost. I didn't really have faith um, growing up. I always knew who God was, but I never had a relationship with him. Um, and what you said, you thought you hit rock bottom. And let me just say something that's really important. I mean, no one ever hits rock bottom. We hit rock foundation. We hit rock belief. We hit the baseline core values and governing principles on which we were raised. Right, exactly. That's how I tell people now. It's been the biggest blessing of disguise that I've ever had. Um, So that first and foremost, uh, my faith just took off in that. And then some small things that I was able to do is just like focus on my body, focus on nutrition, uh, find other ways that I could add value. So that's when I kind of got into film study, um, and stuff like that, and just kind of taking care of my body. Obviously, your body is, as athletes, that's that's what we are, is is what we can provide on the field. And so uh, just learning how to take care of that. And obviously, injuries are part of the game. They'll come up here and there. Um, but just trying to stay as healthy as possible. So uh, it's what we can provide off the field too, bro. That's what makes you such a fine young man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So do you, win, do you learn, learn more from a win or do you learn more from a loss? A loss. Why? Uh, a lo- I hate losing. I just can't stand it. Um, and even when you win, there's always something that just rubs you the wrong way. I feel like you go back and watch the film. It's never perfect, and it never should be perfect. And if you think you're perfect, you're wrong. Um, but losing, it just that's what you strive for. That's like in preparation that you put your whole week forward. You, that's everything you focus on is finding ways to win. And when you put all that work in and you don't win, it's just it sucks. Um, but what if you know you left it all on the field? Maybe the scoreboard isn't as painful as it, as it could be if you know that you prepared and there was nothing else that you could have done that particular Saturday or Thursday or whatever. Right? Yeah, sometimes it happens, right? It's part of the game. You're not going to win them all. Um, and there's definitely valuable lessons to be learned in losses, and I think that's some where the biggest growing happens is in your losses and not your wins, right? 
because people get confident in their wins and they don't look at things that they could have done better. But when you lose, it forces you, it exposes you. So you have to find ways to get better. Okay, so if you're an outside, if you're a defensive end, you have wrong arm technique, as we say, where you're crashing down to take the dive. You, you're, you're trusting that the linebacker is going to come off your butt and, and, and take containment. What happens if he doesn't? How do you communicate with them that he wasn't in the position that he was supposed to be? What do you say to someone when they obviously have missed an assignment that makes both of you look bad? Yeah, just try to ask them what happened, what, what they saw on their end, because obviously I, I don't see what they see. Um, so just seeing what happened on their end and then kind of just talking through it, well, I saw this, and then this was the assignment, this is what we're supposed to do, and kind of just talking through it. Uh, I don't think getting after anyone too hard. I mean, the co- that's what the coaches are for, right? Um, we're here to build each other up, so obviously we got to stick together as a band. Um, and I make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes, So, and that's that's the joy of football is it's not always going to be perfect, right? And so just communicating and just talking what you see, and that's how you get better too. This episode is proudly sponsored by Select Comfort Systems, supporting the University of Utah student-athletes on and off the field. So I've said this before, so there's a 30-second shot clock, and the average football play lasts five seconds, which means you have 25 seconds in between plays to get your head right. What if you lose containment and they pick up a critical first down around your side? How do you recover? What do you have? What do you do? What do you say to yourself in those 25 seconds to let go and learn and fire up? Yeah, it's tough sometimes. I remember uh, last year in the Pac-12 championship game, I came free on a, a little loop around blitz and I completely whiffed on Caleb Williams and uh, I was like damn but I mean next play my coach was yelling at me I was like I'll make it up to you and then I think I had a TFL and a sack in the next two series so kind of just you just kind of have to let it go and forget about it um, it's a game of just one after the other it's next play mentality um, even the good plays you can't get hang on to the good plays you can't hang on to the bad plays you have to just let everything go and just focus on the next play yeah awesome okay so are you dealing with an injury right now? I am. What are you uh, What are you doing mentally and emotionally? Not the training room. You know, we just celebrated Bill Bean's life. He passed away. He was one of the very best uh, sports trainers in the in the world. Just a dear friend. And when we gathered his, in his celebration of life, and Coach McBride, who I had a coach when I played up at, at the U, he invited a few of us up to just share a memory. And uh, when I took the microphone, I, my memory was that Bill Bean made training and rehab fun. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, he made it as if this is part of the game. This is what you do. So how do you keep a positive attitude now that you're, you're – are you full speed now? Uh, I'm getting there very, very close. So I'll That's be good. back on the f- or field very, very soon. That's good. Um, but how are you dealing with it? What do you do? Teach us. Teach a young man. What does he do when his body's everything, when his identity's caught up in athletics and all of a sudden he's hurt? Yeah, it's tough, definitely. I mean, I'll take a toll on you mentally. But I think for me, as just knowing that I will be back on the field soon and, and I need I have my set goals in rehab, I think setting goals is huge. So I even set goals in rehab is I'm going to do this by then, I'm going to do this by then, I'm going to do this by then. And kind of and even if they don't happen, we're just, just fighting towards those goals and to just keep on keeping on, really. And, I mean, it's it's a battle. Not everything goes your way all the time. Um, but just keeping a positive outset and just seeing the long-term goal ahead is I will be on that field, and here's what I need to do to get there. I think when you're like, dang, I'm injured, you can yeah. get caught up and, and just sit there and sulk. But I think when you have a goal and you have a plan and you attack it. 
And remember that what you're teaching the world is that you have to stretch before you strengthen, and all the strengthening occurs in the area past the point of discomfort. So we have a mindset, we're going to go in the gym, we're going to put more weight on, we're going to spend more time on the pre-core, we're going to do whatever we need to do. And then for some reason, most people leave the gym and they want to have, you know, 90-degree weather with a little breeze blowing over their shoulder out of the canyon from Santa Fe. He's trying to bring in some yeah, Mexico. Mexico. And they think it should be Prince's Parking and a sale at every mall, and that's not reality. So they tune out creating discomfort on purpose that they put, put together in the gym. And then when they walk out, they don't want that lifestyle and as an athlete, you saying, no, you have goals in the training room. You have goals in rehab. You're trying your best to create discomfort every day to take yourself to the next level. Yeah, it's so, uh, I mean, discomfort's part of the process. And I think when you're put in those uncomfortable situations, that's where the most learning occurs. That's yeah. what I believe. And you, you don't get better being in your comfort zone. So putting yourself in those uncomfortable positions, pushing your limits, that's how you get better ultimately. I love it. Okay, so as a selfish Ute fan, former athlete, I want you to look in the camera and tell every young man in America, maybe even in the world, in the South Pacific Islands, why they should come to the University of Utah. Um, man, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Um, Utah has honestly been a huge blessing in my life. Um, the culture that here, everyone says it's a family culture, but just the bond, the camaraderie, the coaches genuinely care about you. You don't see that um, across the country and a lot of other programs. Uh, they have a plan to develop you. They have a plan in place to make you become a better man. They have a place or a plan for you to graduate college. Uh, they care a lot more than about football, and that's what it's about because there's times half most of the year you're not playing on the football field. And so how you become a man, how you become a better person, how you treat your teammates, that's so important. Those are lessons that will last you for a lifetime. And I think that's what it's all about, honestly, because there will be a day where no one plays football anymore. and It's about who you are as a person, and they genuinely care about your well-being, and, and they'll set you up for success in the rest of your life. Now that's some Irish wisdom you can take to the bank. <laughs> so here we have Connor O'Toole. My pleasure, Dan Clark with Power Players. And uh, if you're involved in the NIL world at all, name, image, and likeness, thank you. But if you're not, please take note of young men like, like Connor, who is worth supporting off the field and uh, if you have a car dealership, he should be driving your car. If you have a clothier, he should be wearing your, your clothes and your kicks. If you have a restaurant, he should be eating in your restaurant. All traded out because you're an NIL sponsor of Connor O'Toole. Until we meet again, keep sponsoring and keep supporting our University of Utah student-athletes because guys like Connor O'Toole make us so proud to be the views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.